today on Ag News Daily. So the National Ranching Heritage Center um, is a 19-acre museum and historic park. So um, our mission is to preserve and interpret the history of ranching in North America. Wednesday, October 25th, 2023. I felt like saying 2024 this morning, Delaney. I don't know why. You're rushing us. We're not there yet. <laughs> that would be a big rush to skip forward a year in a day. Uh, hopefully we don't have that problem. But uh, looks like it might be a little bit of a light day here on the headline side. So excited to get to our conversation a little bit quicker. Winter weather's looking to make its way across the northern plains throughout the day and into some of tomorrow. Winter storm warnings are still in effect for Montana and North Dakota. As much as a foot of snow is still forecasted for northern North Dakota today and wind gusts up to 30 miles per hour. Further south, flood watches are now been issued for counties in Oklahoma and north central Texas. Showers will be widespread tonight and into tomorrow. Potential for some severe uh, thunderstorms with quarter-sized hail and wind gusts of up to 60 miles per hour. Of course, m- most of the Corn Belt is looking at scattered storms this evening into tomorrow. Heavy rainfall could be potential, but we're going to leave most of that down there in the Oklahoma and Texas area, Delaney. Tanner, I don't have any other weather headlines here, so let's keep moving with our other ag headlines. This week, we've got the World Food Prize going on here in Des Moines, Iowa, where ambassadors, dignitaries, and global food leaders are coming into Des Moines to discuss food insecurity amongst other topics. Other topics of discussion are always, uh, you know, civil unrest going on in different countries right now, farmer-led panels, as well as topics such as sustainability, carbon, uh, global warming, or climate change, and so much more. But This week, they also honor the World Food Prize laureate, Heidi Kuhn, for her model that revitalizes farmland, food security, livelihoods, and resilience after devastating conflicts. She started her nonprofit Roots of Peace back in 1997 to replace the remnants of war with farmland. This, of course, was an organization started by the great Norman Borlaug Tanner years ago, decades ago at this point to really bring quite a few folks out of food insecurity and food hunger during his green revolution. So the World Food Prize Laureate Award recognizes someone who is similar in that line as far as what they're accomplishing to Norman Borlaug. So Heidi is the latest recipient of that award, getting awarded that this week. And uh, there'll be a lot of other folks receiving various awards and lots of other dignitaries, as I mentioned, there presenting and discussing at this week's World Food Prize. It's really the place to be. But I believe yesterday, Secretary Vilsack spoke at the event. Of course, the World Food Prize is now headed up by former Iowa governor and ambassador to China, Terry Branstead. So there's lots of Iowa connections to, of course, Norman Borlaug. We, we tote him as being from the great state of Iowa, Tanner. But nonetheless, it is an exciting time for folks to come together. Yeah, certainly is. It's also exciting that Vaderstad is bringing their Tempo K high-speed planners to North America. They plan to launch their Tempo K high-speed in spring of 2024. Vaderstad acquired Wilrich in 2021, and the Tempo planners are now built on their 10K planner bar. 
This is the planter, Delaney, that holds the world record for the most number of acres planted in a 24-hour time period. They're launching this industry-leading capacity and speed, making this an extremely practical use for farmers that want to get crops in in a hurry. The Temple K is initially available in a 24-row, 30-inch row spacing. That's the only size that will be available to be ordered in the spring of 2024. That planter has 150 bushel central seed hopper and the option of twin 750-gallon liquid fertilizer tanks. This planter is built on tracks to ensure that you float through the field as well. They use their own seed meter, its own electric drive, and uh, they are capable of having individual row shutoffs to compete with all the other planters here in the U.S. So it'll be interesting to see how well Vaderstad's Tempo K's do here as spring ordering kickoff starts after the first of the year. And that will determine, Delaney, whether or not they bring other planter sizes and configurations to come. But I didn't know... There was a world record for most corn planted in a day. So you learn something every day. You think you can beat it? No, not. I don't have any desire to plant for 24 hours straight. No, that's fair. I don't think most people would. Absolutely Tanner, not. On, Tanner, on Monday, the USDA released a major report here, the first of its kind, looking specifically at carbon markets. This landmark report released on Monday, listed several barriers as to why only nine out of 10 farmers are aware of carbon markets, but a fraction of those are actually participants of the program. But Secretary Vilsack unrolled this report and said that it demonstrates both the potential and the challenges that carbon markets present for the agricultural and forestry industries. The report is the first step in the implementation of the new Growing Climate Solutions Act, which was enacted at the end of 2022. And the next step now is for the USDA to decide whether to set up a greenhouse gas technical assistance provider and third party verification program, which would assist farmers interested in carbon markets and create a system to register market verifiers. They said, of course, they're still focused on voluntary carbon programs, to make a way for farmers and ranchers and forest owners to get a little extra jingle in their pocket. But, you know, as time, as time moves forward, Tanner, you never know if those types of programs will become involuntary and more so forced upon farmers and ranchers as to the practices they need to implement. But it is an exciting step forward that the administration is putting some R&D behind the carbon market programs to figure out how farmers actually can enact these on their own operations. Absolutely. That is going to be a lot of clarity. We also saw potentially some good news that could help us battle tar spot. It's been affecting corn growers in several states across the eastern United States, but it's been historically combated with fungicides or certain hybrid varieties. But growers right now, thanks to the Agricultural Research Service or ARS, may have another option. Researchers identified that there are other species of fungi and bacteria that can stop tar spot from developing. According to Purdue University, the fungus, ooh, with a really complicated name, Filiacora mitis, Delaney, stated that it itself, when presented on corn plants, it raised black spots called stromata. And that fungi, in according to the ARS scientists, can grow or reproduce inside the tar spot, 
causing that to fail to germinate. So quite interesting there. Researchers use DNA to identify the species that they found and know the biological control agent to affect this disease in other crops. Their trials found that exposures to uh, these certain biocontrolling funguses prevented 88% of tar spot and stromata from germinating. The uh, anti-fungus isolated the tar spot also from spreading by about 45%. So we'll continue to keep an eye on this. It may be useful to help the battle against tar spot, certainly some good news. So moving forward, ARS will continue to put studies together and present their reports. Obviously, this is still in the early stages, but they'll continue by examining the basic biology. They'll develop some molecular markers to be able to speed up the research and search for uh, being able to replicate this natural fungus. And they will explore strategies to better get these registered as application and applicable uses for producers to start battling tar spots. So some good news there, maybe light at the end of the tunnel for that corn limiting fungus. Peter, can you go back and re trying to pronounce that name again for me one more time? Yeah, we will uh, skip that. <laughs> we'll have we'll have to get that edited in there correctly. Yeah, okay. <laughs> maybe maybe like a chat AI tool can help you pronounce that word. I should. I should just cue that up and hit go. <laughs> well, speaking of hitting go, we know that Navigator CO two hit cancel on their three and a half billion carbon pipeline project, and we've now seen Summit Carbon Solutions postpone or extend their timeline. But Wolf Carbon Solutions, which I believe is somehow associated with ADM or it might be an ADM direct subsidiary, has said they're full steam ahead, according to a quarterly earnings call that happened on Tuesday with the company. CEO Juan Ricardo Luciano said that they are full steam ahead, continuing with their carbon pipeline plans. In June of 2023, Wolf Carbon Solutions filed an application with the Illinois Commerce Commission to seek approval on a 260-mile pipeline to send carbon dioxide from two ADM plants in Clinton and Cedar Rapids, Iowa, into a sequestration location below ADM's Decatur, Illinois facility. And so even though we saw October 20th, Navigator said they were canceling their project and Summit Carbon Solutions has delayed their product project, Wolf Summit is full steam ahead, as I just mentioned there, Tanner. And yeah. Luciano said that this is going to continue to you know, be challenging for ADM, but they're not at all second guessing whether their plans should continue. It's very, it's a very important initiative, they said, for ADM and you know, it's something that they've apparently been focused on here for quite some time, years in the making, Tanner. So they said they are still continuing forward with their plans, but it will not be statewide uh, as multi-state as, you know, some of the other pipelines would be. It's really just going to be, as I mentioned there, Clinton and Cedar Rapids, Iowa and Decatur, Illinois. So a much smaller scale pipeline and maybe less hurdles to come along with that. Yeah, you think of a project like that as being one that might set an example, you know, getting a smaller project approved before a larger one comes through. Uh, but it'll be interesting to continue to watch. I've just got headlines on some of the pieces it seems like we touch on every single day. As we look at uh, the Speaker of House, the fight for speakership, according to the floor, it looks like we've got Republican Mike Johnson is set to take his fight for that speakership today. 
This could be a pivotal moment for House Republicans that come amid uncertainty whether or not the Louisiana lawmaker can get the 217 votes needed to win the gavel. So it'll be quite interesting to see how that plays out. We did get some positive news out of Ukraine. Wheat and corn production will rise in 2023-2024 for the marketing year, according to FAS. Wheat outputs in the war-torn nation are projected at 22.2 million metric tons. That would be 4% higher than last year. Corn production is forecasted at 30.7 million metric tons in the current marketing year, or 17% over the last year. Exports will still be lower due to the risks of shipping through the Black Sea. Uh, the corn shipments are expected to be an 8% decrease year over year, and uh, wheat exports look to have a 39% drop. That Black Sea blockade by Russia is going to cause that reduction. And then looking at the live headlines uh, for Israel-Hamas war, uh, the UN agency is continuing to work to halt operations Today, uh, they're looking at an issue in Gaza to where the lack of fuel could be exacerbating the humanitarian crisis. Uh, Israel has blocked visas for UN officials following comments made by uh, those accusing them of potentially being too drastic in their response. Jordan's queen accused Western leaders of a glaring double standard for failing to condemn death of civilians under Israeli bombardments in Gaza. And U.S. military advisors are still urging Israel to avoid an all-out ground assault. And uh, it doesn't look like that is going to happen. So unfortunately, things are still ramping up on that side, but a little bit of a glimmer of hope coming out of Ukraine for farmers there, Delaney. Yeah, and a lot of folks are speculating about whether or not the strikes will move past the Gaza Strip. But for now, Tanner, they have remained sustained to that region. And so the risk, of course, is the war could spread more regionally, but so far it hasn't. And the markets are continuing to hold hope here that the war does remain contained to that Gaza Strip area. But as you mentioned there, things are continuing to escalate in those areas, and we have not seen any sort of a ceasefire arranged by politicians. So we continue full steam ahead, it appears right now, with the conflict. But Tanner, I think that is the final headline I had here. So what do you say we look at markets before we get into today's conversation? Let's do it. Well, Tanner, as we look at the December corn contract, it's down a penny and a quarter today at 4.82 and three quarters. New crop beans will open four cents lower at 12.91 and a quarter. Hard red winter wheat down two pennies on the board at 6.61. December wheat in the Chicago contract down a penny at 5.79 and a half. And December spring wheat up two cents at 7.30 and a quarter. As we take a look at livestock and where they closed yesterday, December live cattle clawed its way back into positive movement as it added 27 and a half cents after its limit down move earlier in the week. Opening this morning at a buck 78.62 and a half. November feeder cattle continued their downward slide, 37 and a half cents lower, opening this morning at 235.42. And December lean hogs added 20 cents on the board will open this morning at 66.37 and a half. Tanner, for today's conversation, we're turning things over to a conversation I had with Adrian Hawkins to talk about a historical center down in Lubbock, Texas that honors the rancher history. So let's turn it over to that fun conversation. 
Well, folks, I'm super excited to chat about a unique museum. I guess you could call it uh, that's down at Texas Tech University. We're chatting today with Adrian Hawkins, the communications manager for the National Ranching Heritage Center. Adrian, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. So Adrian, before we get into what is the National Ranching Heritage Center, let's chat a little bit more about your background. Are you a Texas Tech alum? Yes, ma'am. I graduated with my bachelor's and master's degree in agricultural communications from Texas Tech. And found yourself after graduation working at the National Ranching Heritage Center? So I actually... um, moved off for a bit, did some freelancing photography and things like that. I still do photography on the side um, alongside my job here. Um, And then whenever we moved back from Austin to Lubbock, um, I started working at the Texas Tech University system in their donor relations office. So got a lot of experience um, on that side of things with events and um, communication and graphic design and all those sorts of fun things. Um, And then when the opportunity um, popped up that they were looking for a communications manager for the National Ranching Heritage Center, um, it really piqued my interest. I wanted to get back into the agricultural industry. And um, I always admired this place since I was um, young um, and, love what they did, love the um, historic park and um, just how they preserve ranching heritage and thought I applied for the job and um, they decided to keep me, which was very awesome. Very, very grateful to be here. Awesome. I love that background and story. So let's dig into then what is the National Ranching Heritage Center? All right. So the National Ranching Heritage Center um, is a 19 acre um, museum and historic park. So um, our mission is to preserve and interpret the history of ranching in North America and address contemporary ranching issues. So within our historic park, we have 55 um, authentic ranching structures that have been um, preserved and moved over to um, our historic park site. So we have about a mile and a half of um, sidewalks and walkways um, where you can really explore um, the the, um, I guess, timeline of ranching in North America and how it's evolved um, into modern day ranching, which is pretty, pretty neat. Um, And then our indoor um, museum has um, rotating exhibits. So we'll have, um, right now we have exhibits on, um, we have some spurs on exhibit. We, We just put up a new exhibit called Big Ranch Era, and it explores the history of the Four Sixes Ranch the Swenson Ranch and the Wagoner Ranch. So three of the big ranches that are found here in Texas. Um, We have some really cool artifacts with that, including Quanah Parker's um, peyote ritual um, garments, which um, we have a lot of Quanah Parker's um, personal items, which is um, very unique to our museum. Um, And then we also have a um, all of the 1883, so the prequel to Yellowstone, we have the 1883 costumes and uh, props on exhibit as well. Oh, I love that. That's super fun. I'm a big Yellowstone 1883 fan. So I think that'd be really neat to see some of the costumes and props used in those shows. Yes, yes, me. I am too. It's like you're very, very close to Tim McGraw and Faith Hill. Um, it's like you're touching them. <laughs> Absolutely. So you mentioned uh, this the six ranches. 
you mentioned a couple of different ranches there that were specific to Texas. So does the National Ranching Heritage Center focus specifically on, you know, kind of Texas, Oklahoma panhandle ranching, or does it look at the entire history of ranching in North America, as you mentioned earlier? So our goal is to um, recognize ranches all over North America. Um, it so happens that a lot of our structures are from kind of the Texas, New Mexico, Oklahoma area, just because it's easier to get those um, big structures over to Texas um, versus having to um, ship a structure from Wyoming or something like that. Um, but we really, it really does tell like the story of ranching through these structures because a log cabin in Texas is going to be very similar to a log cabin that you'd find in, you know, Montana or Alabama or something like that, um, around that time and era, if that makes sense. Um, some of our, so we also have a magazine, it's called the Ranch Record Magazine. Um, it goes out to all of our membership. And so we get to kind of explore more about, um, ranches in other states and um, tell those stories that way um, through that and also on our social media and our website and blog and things like that. But we're really wanting to expand the national name um, in our title. And so that's been one of our main goals um, past couple of years. That's really neat. I, I'm excited to maybe come down there at some point in the future and, and visit that center. But as you look at, you know, you mentioned also tipping your hat at current contemporary issues and challenges that ranchers have across the North America or U.S. spectrum. How do you go about deciding what things to highlight that are related to current day challenges? Oh, goodness. And um, that's a great question because um, there there's a lot and there's a lot that folks that aren't in the ranching and agriculture industry don't necessarily think of or know to even, you know, ask questions about. And so one of our um, brand new exhibits um, that we just opened this past week has been a crazy week, um, but it's called the Cash Family Ranch Life Learning Center. And um, it features Hank the Cowdog. And so it is, um, this is kind of our tie into really talking about modern day ranching and answering some of those questions. Um, that I think will help us lead to answering some of the bigger um, contemporary issues that um, we see now. Um, and so the, the whole idea of the center was centered around guests coming to the Ranching Heritage Center and asking what exactly a ranch was. What is the difference between a ranch and a farm? And so um, this is, it's a center where it's very interactive and you can explore everything from um, ranch, ranching as a business to cowboy gear and what cowboys do every day um, to prairie ecology and land stewardship and um, conservation. Um, you can touch and feel different feeds and learn about those sorts of things. Um, and so it's, it's a very unique um, center that we're very excited to have. And it's all through guided um, with the help of Hank the Cowdog, um, which is a very um, popular character around these parts. Yeah, I love that. Hank the Cowdog. I, I think he would make a good little tour guide there. But Absolutely. another question I had, you know, was you are located in Lubbock. You mentioned transitioning uh, outside of Austin now into Lubbock. So is the National Heritage Center also related to Texas Tech University in some sort of way? 
Yes, so we are on Texas Tech University's campus. Um, so we we are on their land. Um, the way the Ranching Heritage Center got started, I'll kind of back up because um, a lot of people don't realize that we're associated with Texas Tech because we're across Marsha Sharp. So we're not exactly connected to campus, but we are still a part of their campus. Um, and so the president of Texas Tech at the time, his name was Grover Murray, I believe. Let me double check on that name. Um, yep, Dr. Grover Murray. So he had actually visited an open air museum in Norway and got the idea to create what is now the National Ranching Heritage Center. And that was about 1966. And so um, we were pretty much established in 1969 um, with the Ranch Headquarters Association, um, which has evolved to now the Ranching Heritage Association, which are is our nonprofit association um, with the National Ranching Heritage Center. And so... Um, since about the 1969, 1970, um, we started bringing in structures to the Ranching Heritage Center. Um, Texas Tech was um, very prominent in getting us started and um, very gracious to let us still use their land um, to help tell this story. We're right next door to the Texas Tech Museum. Um, so we're all kind of in a row with our museums and the International Cultural Center. That's really exciting. And I know you've got some big events coming up here over the next couple of months. So talk to us about some of those events coming up that maybe our listeners can swing by for. Absolutely. So our um, big upcoming event is on November 3rd. It's called the National Golden Spur Award Honors. And um, this is one of the most prestigious um, awards in the ranching industry. So we we honor um, two individuals, one with the um, National Golden Spur Award. Um, and then one with the Ranching Heritage Association Working Cowboy Award. And so the National Golden Spur Award is, so the National Golden Spur Award recognizes accomplishments by an individual in the livestock and ranching industries. Um, this award can also highlight kind of the hum humanistic, scientific, and technolo technological um, contributions of um, the industry to society. And so this is a really big award that is um, this year awarded to um, uh, Craig Haythorn, um, who is a Nebraska rancher um, for Haythorn Land and Cattle Co. And then um, our Ranching Heritage Association Working Cowboy Award um, really looks at the individuals who are out on, on the land, on the back of a horse, um, checking and taking care of livestock and land on a daily basis and so this is just a very committed individual and this year um, that award is going to uh, Jimbo Humphreys of um, the manager of the guitar ranches um, so he is actually a Texas uh, native here and so um, this awards presentation is pretty um, the way we're doing it this year is new and it's very exciting we're going to have it at the Buddy Holly Hall and um, Cody Johnson is actually going to be performing an acoustic set um, at the end of the awards honors so that is very exciting we're very excited to have that and so um, we have information on our website at goldenspurhonors.com for anyone interested um, so that was one of our big events coming up. And then our, our next big event coming up is called Candlelight at the Ranch, and it, it will be on December 8th and 9th. Um, 
a Friday and Saturday, and this is the only time um, the Heritage Center is open um, in the evenings. And so we line all of our walkways with about two miles of um, luminaries and all of the structure, a lot of our, I guess, entrance structure um, is lit up. Um, and then our park out in, in the front of our building is lit up with Christmas lights. Um, we have about 200 volunteers that are um, working during these two days and they will dress up in period clothing and um, go into about 15 different structures and recreate what a Christmas on the frontier would have looked like during that time. Um, and it, it is probably one of our um, most beloved and popular events. It's been going on for, I think this is our 45th year, which is very exciting. Um, we have Christmas carolers and hot chocolate and um, apple cider and popcorn and um, all sorts of Christmas festivities going on. So it's a really great time. Well, it'll certainly get people in the holiday spirit, I'm sure as well. But before I let you go, Adrian, if folks are interested in visiting, donating, or learning more about the National Heritage Center, how can they find you? Yes, absolutely. Um, you can visit us at ranchingheritage.org. That is our website. Um, we are located at 3121 4th Street in Lubbock, Texas. We would love for everyone to come and visit us. Um, and also follow us on social media. We are on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram. Awesome. Well, Adrian, thank you so much for joining today. Certainly appreciate the insight into the Heritage Center. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Wow. Awesome. Thanks for doing that, Delaney. Listeners, thanks for listening. But let's keep this ending short. So what do you say, Delaney? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.